The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1980, Episode 2, Summer's Day. In this episode, we will cover the months of April through May. April, 1980. The sounds of spring filled Friar Park Studios as George continues to record new songs for his next LP. The musicians, Willie Weeks, Neil Larson, and Andy Newmark, assembled to record Harrison's new composition titled lay his head. George had gotten the title from a passage from the Catholic Gospel that was according to St. Matthew and St. Luke. Matthew chapter number 8 verses number 19 and 20. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nest, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. George's lyrics, though, were not so biblical. They expressed the frustration that he and the rest of the Beatles experienced with the press in the 1960s and 70s, while not having a moment's peace, and how his love of God got him through it all. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but beetles have nowhere to lay their heads.
Back in New York on April 9th at the Lennon's Dakota apartment, John, Sean, Fred, and Helen Seaman all leave the city for Lennon's Cannon Hill Estate in Cold Spring Harbor for a vacation that would last several weeks. Yoko was expecting her mom to fly in from Japan, and then they would all join them in Cold Spring Harbor. The Cannon Hill Estate was a Tudor-style home nestled in the secluded community of Laurel Hollow on the north shore of Cold Spring Harbor. It was Fred Seaman who found the estate and urged the Lennons to purchase it. The next day, April 10th from Cannon Hill, John began to compose a new song dedicated to Yoko. Later that evening, with the song fully finished, John decided to record it on videotape to play to Yoko who was scheduled to arrive the next day with her mom. which you might call Oyoko Part 2, circa 1971, 2 or 3. Maybe this time we'll get it.
Let's check this out, should we? Okay. Hello, 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 hello. On April 11th, Yoko, running late, arrived alone at the Cannon Hill estate. Oh, hi, Steve. Hi, Steve. Have a seat. Welcome to Coast Street, Marvel. Thank you. See you on the bottom. Gorgeous place. Make sure you want to get on. No, Mother's not here. Mother didn't want to come out. That's why I was late. Okay. I've got a surprise for you. Take a two. On Sunday, April 13th, still at the Cannon Hill Estate, John, who was very excited about his new purchase, the VCR portable recorder, films his day. I'm going to get one of these at home. This is color. I mean, it's just electric lights, look. It's nice to see us, though. Wait till I show you something. I want it to catch 
out, you know, when you come up, you know, sort of, you start to approach it. It's nice to wake up here, isn't it? Oh, what a day. It's a great day, right, Fred? Right. John tells Yoko of his adventures rowing a small motorboat on Long Island Sound with Sean and Fred. We're on the boat today. Gonna take the oil with us next time, right, Fred? I think so. No, but I think Daddy did it. Daddy, you know, magician, you know. Oh, which. We could all use the exercise. The row, all the time I was thinking, you know, when we're heading across, when I gave the motor to you, when I gave the motor to you, yeah. I was thinking all the time, if I say, should we turn the engine off? Because yeah. the noise is getting on, I'll do a bit of rowing. Yeah. But then maybe we won't get it going again, we're so far out, and I kept thinking, I wish I was rowing, but I'm full of food, you know? Yeah. I'm absolutely stuffed, you know, because we had an hour of rowing a day, and... Uh, Lennon was relaxed in Long Island. It was like a vacation. Hello, we're having lunch on Sunday. On April 14th in America, Columbia Records released the single Coming Up by Paul McCartney.
The song reached number two in the UK singles charts. KHJ Los Angeles, it's 302 with Al Connerson. McCartney and Wings In America, the single rose to number one, mainly due to the fact that the 1979 Wings Live version of the song was heavily played and was the B-side. How much control do you have over the songs that emerge? I mean, you were saying that in America, the live version of Coming Up is the single, which is a big hit there. Yeah. And over here, it's the studio, if I can call it that version. Yeah. Um, was it your choice to put different versions in different territories? No. Or did it, was, it just uh, emerge? I'm not really quite sure of whose choice that was. The record company tell me it was the DJs, man, and the reaction yeah. was for the live ones. I don't know. John Lennon is asked about Paul's latest music. Yeah, the singles, it's on the radio out here. I thought the coming up was great. And I like the freak version that he made in his barn better than that live Glasgow one. Yeah. Pulling it from the album? The one that's up voices? Yeah, I think that, that's... I, if I'd have been with him, I would have said, yes, that's the one too. And I, I thought that record company had a nerve changing it around on him. But, you know, I know what they mean. They want to hear the real guy singing. But I like the freaky one. Stevie Wonder does it, nobody moans at him. An additional track, Lunchbox Odd Socks, is added to the coming up single. It's an outtake from the 1975 Venus and Mars sessions, which feature Jeff Britton on drums, Tony Dorsey on bass, Linda on Moog synthesizer, and Paul on piano. Over in the city of Durango in Mexico, filming continues on the motion picture Caveman. Today, April 27th, Ringo, despite Nancy Andrews' presence on set, declares his love for co-star Barbara Bach. Why did you tell her you loved her? 27th of April. Ringo and Barbara were practicing a scene where Ringo's character, Atuk, attempts to have his way with Barbara's character, Lana. The director, Carl Gottlieb. And after all the tossing and turning was over, and we decided what the physical action of the scene would be when we shot it, we all went back to our rooms, we thought. And the next morning, when they showed up on the set, they were glowing and holding hands. And the script supervisor, whose job it is to be attentive to detail, saw that and said, look, they're in love. And in fact, they were. When was the first time you ever saw this man, ever, in any way, in person? Uh, at the Shea Stadium in, I believe, 64. That was a very big concert. It was pretty far away. And uh, I went there because my little sister was an enormous Beatle fan, the wig and everything. And it was quite exciting. And then I met him at Carl Gottlieb's house before we did the film. You mean, so in the, in the intervening years, like 15 years, 64, 74? Yeah, we wasted 15 years. Yeah. 15 years you didn't see each other. You didn't notice her in the crowd that day, I dare uh, say. No. no. She was sitting at the back. Ringo's new love was born Barbara Goldbach in Queens, New York, on August 27, 1947. By age 17, Bach was modeling for the Eileen Ford Agency. In the 1970s, she moved to Rome and married an Italian businessman named Augusto Gregorini. They had two children, Francesca and Gianni, 
and she became known as an actress in Italian B-movies. In 1975, Bach and Gregorini split, and she moved back to the States. Then Bach's starring part opposite Roger Moore catapulted her into a new role, international sex symbol. <laughs> Back at Cold Spring Harbor on April 28th, Yoko leaves Cannon Hill and heads to their New York City apartment. A few days later on April 30th, John shaves off his thick beard that he had grown since last year's Japanese vacation. Later that day, a call comes in from Studio One, a nickname the Lennons gave to their first floor Dakota apartment. The instructions were for John to stay with Sean in Long Island, away from the Dakota where Yoko is battling the Russian flu, which is highly contagious. Fred and Helen Seaman believe that Yoko is not sick with the flu, but really she is attempting to withdraw from heroin, which they believe she has been on for a while. In obliging Yoko's request, John stays in Cold Spring Harbor. He feels that while Yoko is recovering, he would take on something he wanted to do for a while, sailing. John asks Fred and Helen Seaman to go out and purchase a sailboat, as Lennon puts it, the dumbest and simplest boat that they can find, so even he, at age 40, can learn to sail. At Coney's Marine in Huntington, Long Island, on May 1st, the Siemens purchase, on behalf of John, a 14-foot O'Day Javelin sailboat. The salesperson was 24-year-old Tyler Coney, a family member of the business. When Tyler learns who the new owner is, he offers to personally deliver the boat and set it up. Upon delivery, he rigged the small sailboat and offered to teach John how to sail, to which Lennon agreed. The two spent the next couple of weeks sailing around Long Island Sound. Lennon felt comfortable sailing on the water and wanted to sail further than around the sand hole on the sound. He spoke with Yoko about his ambition to sail the Atlantic, like his father and grandfather did. Around the middle of May, Tyler recalls Lennon telling him that Yoko had given him permission to sail to Bermuda. John asked Tyler to set it all up. Tyler agreed and immediately began searching for a vessel and a crew as the window of a safe sailing journey in the Atlantic was quickly closing. Well, it's not far down to paradise. At least it's not for me. And if the wind is right, you can sail away. Find tranquility. Right, you can find the joy of innocence again. 
at Harrison's home studio, Friar Park Henley on Thames, George continues to record tracks for his next album. Stonewalling voices calling 
On May 11th, from Abbey Road Studios, London, Paul McCartney films an interview for the Japanese television show titled World Now. Japan. It's a long time since I've been there on your TV screens, I suppose. But well, here we are in England. I'd like to say sorry about the mistake there and uh, hope we can come back sometime and not disappoint you next time and have a good time. I heard you made a uh new song which you've written about Japan, the title The Frozen Chat. Would you tell me something about it? Yes. Um, what happened was in summer of last year, 1979, I was recording some stuff for a new solo album that I've done. And I had a tune, I was sitting at home just messing around. I made it all up. I had a tune which uh, seemed Japanese or Oriental to me. And I was trying to think of a title, trying to think of a good title. And it seemed to me something like frozen, crystalline, Mount Fuji, like winter in Japan, you know, snow scenes. But it was all too long for a title. So just on the box, I just put down Frozen Jap, which is like shorthand for me, you know. And over, I don't really mean it bad, like, you know, but I've heard since, like, people say, oh, Jap, you know, you shouldn't say that. But over here in Europe, it's not too bad. It's not like that bad a word. You know, there's a man who's got the clothes shop who calls himself Jap. Yeah, you know uh, Ken, Kenzo, yes, yeah. yeah. So over here, like, it's getting to be not so bad a word, really. Anyway, I just wrote it down on the, on the thing, like, shorthand, you know, instead of right now, full. And it stuck. I kept trying to think of a better title, mm. like Frozen Mount Fuji. But it, it always was too long, so I kept it a Frozen Jap. But then I heard the um, people in Japan didn't like it. <laughs> so I changed it. I changed it? Yeah, for Japan oh. it's called Frozen Japanese. now think back about uh, what happened in Japan in January? Oh, I don't know. It was funny seeing you today because I think you're the first Japanese person I've seen since, oh, since the thing, you know, so it kind of brought the memories back. But I don't feel too bad about it, you know, because um, it was my fault. It was my mistake, you know. So, um, and I got good treatment. You know, the Japanese people were really good and the guards are in there. If any guards are watching, hello, man. Hi. <laughs> Okay? Okay, mate. Yeah, they might be watching, you know, some of the, some of my friends. But uh, it was, it was okay. I see. I've heard you sang a song with uh, the prisoners, uh, you some numbers and uh, outside fans. Um, did you very enjoy and... Uh... Well, I didn't enjoy it, you know, because well. I don't think anybody enjoys being in jail. Mm. But we had some good times, yeah. And I like the other prisoners. Miss Saisu and Fujimoto. Hi. A couple of people I got to know in there. Did they treat you uh, as one a prisoner while the 
uh, the famous, uh, the great artist Paul McCartney? Uh, no, it wasn't the great artist Paul McCartney, no, it was just, uh, just like friends. Mm -hmm. You know, we just, uh, I can't speak very much Japanese, mm -hmm. and they couldn't speak very much English. Mm -hmm. So we just shouted things at each other. I, I would just shout, uh, Toyota, and yeah. Datsun, things like that that we know over here. Mm -hmm. And they would shout things like, uh, Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker. <laughs> and John Player Special. I see. You know, and so we just shouted words that we knew, but we got friendly. Oh, I see. Well. So that was the good bit about it. Mm-hmm. What did she make you to bring uh, marijuana with you last time? I knew she'd asked this one. We said this before, didn't we? Mm -hmm. What made me do it? It was just a mistake, you know. Mm -hmm. It's something I don't take too seriously, marijuana, because I think there are many uh, things in Western society that are much more dangerous. I think, like, for instance, I don't take sleeping tablets. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do. And it's legal, sleeping mm. tablets. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people drink a lot. Yeah. Well, for me, I don't see marijuana as being very dangerous. Mm. So I had that same attitude when I came to Japan. And I didn't realize quite how serious the law against it was in Japan. I see. But, you took it um, just casually. Yeah, I took it too casually. Yeah, that, that was the problem at the time. I but I still believe that the law um, could be looked at. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't think it was just my fault. I think the attitude towards marijuana is a little bit wrong at the moment. You know, fans in Japan really stand on your side and not low side, you know. They really try to take you out and uh, uh, yeah. they wish it, the law forget, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, see, I don't want to preach for marijuana. I don't want to say to everyone, marijuana is a good thing, so you really should do it. And I don't want to do that because uh, everybody should make their own decisions, you know. But, um, yeah, I had, I had some nice letters and telegrams while I was in there mm -hmm. from fans and stuff yeah. who would say they supported me a lot, you know, so that, that was very helpful. While still at Abbey Road Studios, Paul films another interview promoting his new album, McCartney 2, this time for an Australian TV show called Countdown. Hi Paul, welcome to Countdown right across Australia, and uh, Molly asked me especially to send his regards to you. Oh, thank you and very much. He's, uh, hoping Thanks, Mol. <laughs> he's hoping to catch up with you soon. You've just put out a, a new album. It's um, a solo album, only yeah. your second ever solo album. What's happened to Wings? Uh, we, when I recorded this, that was last summer, summer of 79. Since then, we played a British tour with Wings, and then we were scheduled to go to Japan. But uh, I had a spot of bother there, and that didn't come off. So... Um, since then, actually, I've just been getting this album finished and releasing that, and I think Denny's doing his own solo stuff. So we're taking a bit of breather with Wings and deciding what we want to do next rather than kind of just rush into anything for the sake of it. You know? mm. Will you be getting back together with them? I should think so, yeah. We're mm. kind of talking about it and thinking about it. Mm. But uh, everyone's onto their solo things just at the moment. Mm. 
really are today at Abbey Road Studios, the, where the, you used to record with the Beatles. Yeah. Does that bring back fond memories for you? Yeah, well, I've recorded here quite a lot anyway, even without the Beatles. So, uh, but it is, it's like one of the favourite studios. This, this is where I made my first record with the Beatles. Mm. Terrified out my mind down one, there. One countdown uh, viewer, a young viewer, wanted to know if the other Beatles were still alive. Well, your guess is as good as mine, actually. <laughs> Do you ever see any of the other no, three guys? I'm, no, they are actually alive and kicking and all very well and doing their own thing, uh, mm. enjoying themselves. Does the media campaign to get the Beatles to reunite annoy you? Yeah, I'm a bit, you know, but there's nothing you can do about it, so I don't get really annoyed. It's just one of those things, you know, when you reach a certain, le cert a certain level of fame. Like with the Beatles, you know, once we split up, there were just a lot of people offering a lot of money and saying, we'll get back together for me then. But the trouble is that uh, if you were even going to consider doing something like that, you'd have to have a really great enthusiasm within the group. Because, you know, you can't just start things just for, to, just for some money and go and do it. Not a thing like that, anyway. So uh, the, the missing factor is the enthusiasm at the moment, mm. uh, which is fair enough, you know. I mean, we, can, we did our bit. I think the four of us would probably just l prefer to, like, leave it as it was and leave the whole story intact rather than sort of coming back and doing some disastrous reunion show, you know, like uh, mm. Sinatra's 50th farewell concert, yeah, something like that. Yeah. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom let it be and in my darkest hour she is standing right in front of me speaking words of wisdom let it be yeah let it be When all the broken hearted people Living in the world agree There will be an answer Let it be Although they may be far There is still a chance That they will see There will be an answer Let it be
is cloudy There is still a light that shines on me Shine until tomorrow, let it be I wake up to the sound of music One of every come to me Speaking words of wisdom, let it be On May 16th in the UK, the album McCartney 2 is released on the Parlophone label. You just put out a, a new album, it's a, a solo album, only yeah. your second ever solo album. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, uh, I started recording it after we'd done Back to the Egg. Uh, and I was a little bit fed up of doing um, a studio album and going in and working very correctly and properly and I fancied just kind of looning around. So I started off by hiring a machine off one of the lads here, um, which is a very simple thing where I just plugged directly into the back and, and could just record myself without being too technical. And uh, I just started making up bits and pieces just for my own amusement. And what happened was uh, I ended up, I was going to keep it two weeks, but it ended up being six weeks. And I was going to just do a couple of tracks, but it ended up being about 18. So uh, in the end, I played it to a couple of people and they said, that's your next album, isn't it? I said, no, not really. It's just for my own amusement. They said, no, that's your next album. So I said, all right.
He played every single instrument on it, didn't he? Uh, yeah. Bass, drums, or bass, of course. Yeah, that's that's keyboards. What I, yeah, keyboards. Yeah. Mm. And and a gizmo even. Well, like anything, I could get my hands on really, because as I say, it was just for my own pleasure. So I was really just enjoying getting on this instrument, just playing around till I found a sound on it that I liked. And I just say, okay, now we'll put a bit of this down and try and make something up. So it was done uh, the re the backwards way from how I normally do it. Mm. But I do love playing like all different instruments. I just like that, you know, it's like a hobby for me. The next day, on Saturday, May 17th, in America, 
Saturday Night Live will be delayed so that we may bring you this exclusive report. Day 122, Paul McCartney without marijuana. <laughs> weekend update desk in New York, here's Jane Curtin. Good evening. It's been 122 days since Paul McCartney was arrested in Japan for possession of marijuana. And it's been 122 days since Paul McCartney last smoked marijuana. Now, Weekend Update continues to bring you the most comprehensive coverage of this crisis. We've sent to England the same correspondent who almost got an exclusive interview with Paul in a Tokyo prison. Of course, I'm referring to our own Father Guido Sarducci. feed with Father Sarducci in London. Father, are you there? Hello, Jane. I am standing here in the front of where Paul McCartney is staying in the West End section, section of London, England. Is Paul there with you, Father? Well, not yet, Jane, but it'll be done any moment now. This here, this is his office, and up there on the second floor, that's where he has apartment. He's been a whole up there since he was paroled from a prison. Right up there, kind of throw... Close. Second floor up there. He should be down any minute now. Hey, I bet that you're wondering about my hair, right? It does look a little different. Thank you. This is the latest in Italy. It's called a corn roll. Some people, they call it maize roll. There's a new movie just to come out about a month ago. It's called a Dieci. It means number 10. And there's a girl in the movie. She's real pretty. They says that she's a real Dieci, you know? Since she's got a hair just like this. And all the women in Italy, they went ahead of this. And then this actor, his name is Victorio Gassman, a very famous, wonderful actor. He made his hair like this, and now men have it too. Cost me 40,000 a lire. <laughs> a lot of money, but I think it's worth it, you know, because they said you could live it like this for like four or five months. You don't have to wash it or nothing. Father, it's a long run. <laughs> Father, thanks for telling us about your hair. But is Paul McCartney there or not? Of course he is. This is where he's been hiding ever since he was a parole. I told you that. He's right up there. He'll be down any minute now. Just a hold your horses, you know. He'll be down. <laughs> Father, you told us you had a definite appointment set up with him for 1130. That's right, I did. I sent him a registered letter, everything. But you know, I think what happened was he got the time mixed up. You see, I told him 11.30, but over here now, it's 4.30 in the morning. And I think probably he thought that it meant 11.30 England time. It's a long story, but what it is, is the time changes as you travel across the ocean. It's like every thousand miles, Time changes one hour. You know, like, and in New York now, it's 11.30. Then in Iceland, it's 12.30. Then you keep uh, father, going, you know, father, some more land. Uh, father, you said you had it all set up that Paul McCartney would open the show for us. That's why we spent so much money to hook up this live remote from London. 
Well, I think, you know, it's just a matter of a moment before it wakes up and it comes down here. You just have to be patient, you know, with these transatlantic things like that. It's very complicated. <laughs> Father, I don't think we can wait any longer. We've got to start the show. Well, I guess I could get somebody else to open the show, but I know Paul is going to be very, very disappointed. I'm sure he'll understand. Well, there's a lot of people here. I could... There's a fellow Malcolm man. Could it, could it, buddy, could you come here a minute, please? Do me a little favor. Yeah. Got a chocolate? <laughs> it wasn't chocolate. <laughs> hey, listen, if you would, please, look into the camera. Yes. I got this. And I wanted to read it. Look right in and read it out, if you would, please, for me. Live from New York and London, it's Saturday night. scheduled to have Paul McCartney open tonight's show, but we ran into some technical problems. But we are now uh, switching back to London where Father Guido Sarducci is standing by with Paul McCartney and a videotape of his new song. Come in, Father Sarducci. Jane, it's getting a light to hear. The sun is coming up. It's all a little bit after 12 o'clock in New York, but over here in London, England, it's after five in the morning. <laughs> Father! You believe it? <laughs> Where's Paul? That guy, you know, he sleeps like a log. <laughs> I think I must have thrown like a two dollars worth of these coins. <laughs> Pences, they call them. Pences. Father, I, I don't know if you're aware of it, but this hookup costs a lot of money. And if Paul McCartney isn't there to introduce his song like you promised, it's going to come out of your check. <laughs> You know what I think the problem is? I think maybe since all of these people are down here, and he thinks it's a bust. <laughs> Could it be, really? But I think I know how to get him out. I'm going to sing for him. I'm going to sing a medley of Beatle tunes. I'm going to serenade him out of that place. That's my plan. I got a, what do you call a speaker here? Loud the speaker. We don't want a revolution and all. We all wanted to change the world. But if you go talking about a destruction, don't you know that you can count me in the town where I was born? 
live a man who sails the sea and he tells me hey Jude do you want to know a secret no do you promise not to tell Eleanor Rigby used to be mad at my school the teachers that taught me weren't Desmond Beer Chuck and I am you and you are me and we are all together in a yellow submarine <laughs> well I just had to laugh I saw Lucy in the sky with Michelle my bell alone on the hill Picking the rice from the church where the wedding has been a hard day's night suddenly I wanted to hold your help I wanted to hold your I needed somebody I wanted to hold your handle Father I, I don't think that works father I don't see any lights going on well, I think maybe I should do it again. You know, maybe another time might work. Maybe, you know, I know what I could do. I sing some medley of uh, Wings tunes. That's, you know, the latest group. Maybe that'll do it. Yeah, Father, you keep trying. We'll get back to you later. Okay. That's the news. Good night and have a pleasant some tomorrow. We interrupt this program for another exclusive report from London, England. Well, the pants hitting the window didn't work. My serenade didn't even work. But I know this is going to work. Rock. That's an old gossip columnist trick. Miss Rowan taught me that one. Works every time. It'll be out, I know it. You can bet on it. It's coming, this is it. You can believe it. Hi. It's all this. What's going on out here? What's going on here? What's the rock? What's this? What was it? This milkman. Was it this milkman? He yeah. did it and then it ran. Somebody threw it. Where was it? Was it him? It wasn't you? No, no, it wasn't me. I'm here to do the interview. Yeah. You know, I wrote you about it and everything. You got a letter, registered oh, the a letter. Interview. Yeah, that was supposed to be 11.30 last night, though. I mean, you know, it's five in the morning now. Well, you know, it's a long story. There was a time change. You didn't hear about it? <laughs> it's like a land. Every piece of land is one hour less than another one. It's a long story. It's real, real involved. You know, it gets real technical. I don't think, you know, you want to go into it. Yeah, but that's I mean, the reason. I mean, listen, can we do it tomorrow? Because, I mean, it really is. It's awfully late, like, you know. Well, Ken, this is live. Look, live television. And this is a hookup, a satellite to the United States. This is it. And now we have to do it. You know, I want to ask you, is it true that you haven't had any marijuana in 122 days? Yes or no? It was my understanding that we were just going to talk about the videotape. Uh, you know, have they shown it yet or what? No, it's still coming up, you know, but I just would like to ask you a couple of questions first. You know, just a couple. Okay, that's fine. Just as long as there are questions about the tape. Just the tape, okay? Have to be questions about the tape? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, 
How long, how long did it take to make the tape? Well, it took quite a lot of uh, time, actually, because I played a lot of different roles on the tape. It's only about four minutes long itself, but it took over a week to shoot it, you know? Hey, you know, if you were still smoking, do you think it would have taken longer or shorter? I suppose it might have taken longer, you know, it might have seemed shorter and that, but, uh, <laughs> well, I don't see that that matters. But it would have taken longer, but it seemed shorter. That's your answer. That's what he's saying. Well, I suppose. Nice to meet you. I thought you were coming at 11.30. Well, late. Paul got the time mixed up. <laughs> it's a long, long story, but it's like... Every piece of land an hour earlier, see? Yeah. And New York is far away, so like it's okay. real early there, but here's Linda's the Linda's in this tape too. She's in there. Yeah, Paul plays ten of the characters and I play two, the two backup singers, you know, one's a fella actually. Yeah, you know, most of the characters are based on certain definite people. I mean, for instance, you got like the keyboard player out of Sparks, you know, and you got Hank Marvin out of the Shadows. You you probably know him. Do you know? Hank Marvin? Hank, yeah. Well, I've heard of him, but I don't know him personally, but you know, I've heard of him, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have this saxophone section that we do, and there's this hippie guy at the end of it. Well, he kind of gets all the stuff wrong. Oh, he's, he's my favorite, the hippie it's guy, because the sax section is, you know, really in time, going forward. And while they're going forward, the hippie's always out of tune in time, yeah, and he, he goes back, and that's great. It, it's the, my the, dancing, the dancing I had to do was, like, real complicated to do. You know, I had to imagine... The people, it's, it's really... Hey, I bet that it's, it's real hard to dance when you're not a stone. Am I right? <laughs> it wasn't, you know, so I can't get into it. It wasn't easy, but, uh, you know, are you going to show the tape? Yes, yeah, well, yes, we are going to show the tape for sure. But I just want to ask one, one more question, if you don't mind. It's pretty important. Yeah, well... People want to know. It's not about marijuana, right? No, no, no. This is a question... Tell the truth, I even hate to ask you, you know, because I know everyone always asking you this question, you know what I mean? It's just one guy after another, and, but I'm a journalist, I have to do it. Yeah, go on. You know what I mean? I Hope you don't mind. I, I... Paul, if, just if, you could be any animal you wanted to be, <laughs> what would it be? Any animal? Any animal. Any animal. Hmm. Koala bear. Koala bear. Koala bear. Did you hear koala bear? And then little animals, all the time, they eat a eucalyptus leaves. They get a stone, they're stoned all the time. Well, you heard it. Koala bear. Well, that's it. And you can take it back, America. Okay, play the tape. done this clip which is me playing all the instruments like I do on the album. I saw that, yeah. Which is, um, and I do Beatle Paul in that. I never And it was my idea to do it, because I we had to think of someone we'd, we'd make the Beatle, we'd make the bass player like, mm. and I kind of said, well, I could do Beatle Paul, and the director said, yeah, you've got it. And I said, oh, well, and I almost chickened out at the end. But once I did it, and put on the old youth and got my violin bass, which has actually still got a list from the Beatles, Stella tape to it. Okay. Antique. 
the, the minute I'd done that, I didn't realise till like a couple of days after that I'd actually had gone and broken the whole voodoo of talking about the Beatles because I'd been him again and I just actually stood there and it didn't feel bad. I thought, yeah, it was a laugh of the hell, you know. I mean, if someone else is going to impersonate me, I might as well do it myself. And it was such a buzz amongst all the studio technicians. They all really got off on it. It was like, can I have your autograph? Yeah. And it was weird, you know. It was really like I'd gone back 20 years or 10 years or whatever. It was a very kind of weird, exciting feeling, really, to just do it. And now I feel I like you're of... stepping back into that image for a minute. It was great. I just felt great. It really was. I felt like I was at a TV show 20 years ago. Because it felt exactly the same. The bass was the same weight. See, the thing about the Hoffman bass is it's like balsam. It's so comfortable after a kind of Fender or Rickenbacker. I now play like a Yamaha Rickenbacker, which is so bloody heavy. Why did you switch that Rickenbacker on? on that? It was given to me. Oh, really? Mr. Rickenbacker came down, wanted the kind of head representative when we were in LA. And uh, he said, we'd like to give you a specially made left-handed bass. And it was the first left-handed bass I'd ever had, because the Hoffman was a right-handed converted. It was a freebie. And I loved it. And I played in and started to get into it on Sergeant Pepper and everything. And um, so that was like I really started to get into the Rickenbacker. And then again, I'm, I'm a, a must be a skinfin actually, because then now I'm playing a Yamaha just because they gave me one. So I'm, I'm anybody's for free guitar. <laughs>
No, actually, believing in fate, that was even more confirmed. That when your time's up, it's up. So you keep living the way you live. Right. Without worrying about it. Because the last thing we expected that morning was to be in an accident. Mm. And it turned out that the car was totaled and we walked away from it. So... We haven't left each other since. Right? <laughs> You're holding on for dear life there. Not for dear life, a good life. The couple were taken to Queen Mary's Hospital in London, where they were treated and released. Because they survived, Ringo and Barbara felt destined to be together. They felt very much in love. A took a luna lana. A lana alunda a In your language, I love Barbara. As a sign of their good fortune, Ringo had two star pins made with a piece of the Mercedes windshield molded in the center. Did you see these little stars we're wearing? <laughs> yes. Windshield. Well, it's the windshield inside. That was all that was left of the car. Shortly thereafter, on a flight to Los Angeles, Ringo proposes to Barbara. I love Barbara. On May 22nd in America, Columbia Records released the LP McCartney 2 by Paul McCartney. Hello, we are gathered here together because Paul McCartney has released his first solo album for 10 years. That is an album without wings or indeed without any group. It was put together in the same manner as his first solo effort, where he recorded, played all the instruments and composed all the music on a tape machine in his home. Why have you done a solo album at this stage of your career? Having I couldn't not think of anything else to do, actually, Tim. No, seriously, folks. Um, I mean, it's called McCartney 2, which yeah. implies to uh, me that it's perhaps a follow-up to McCartney 1, and that was 10 years ago. Yeah. Is it a follow-up, or are you...? Yeah, sort of, yeah. Uh, what happened was I originally just went into the studio to have a mess around, because I was fed up of formally making records, you know, going in and doing it all properly. I'd just made an album like that. And uh, I wanted to just hire a machine, um, which I did. I hired a 16-track machine and just put a microphone into the back, so it's a very primitive way of doing it. And you bypass the uh, mixing console. And I wanted to just go in for like about two weeks and just have a mess around and definitely not do anything for a new album and definitely not try and do anything properly and definitely experiment with anything, you know, and just any little noise I wanted to do this was going to be total freedom. And I ended up, uh, I kind of enjoyed it so much that I ended up keeping the machine for about six weeks. And eventually when I played it to a couple of people, you know, just family and local people and stuff, they said, uh, yeah, you know, take a couple of tracks off here and there and it should be your new album. So then I got a bit serious on it and tried to make it into an album, which was the worst part of it. I was having fun till then.
I was doing this album, you know, I thought I'll make something that it doesn't even sound anything like me. The first three tracks I made were the two instrumentals that are on the album and another one which I later put lyrics on, but it, three instrumentals were the first things to come out of it. Just because I wanted something that sounded nothing like me. You've been quoted as saying, in fact, we're almost made up as you went along, and, and only perhaps Waterfalls, that was the only one which was actually a song before you went to record it. Yeah, that's true. How did Waterfall come to be written? Waterfall got written um, in Scotland, um, and I was just plonking around as usual, and I found what I thought was a nice tune, and then I put the words to it that are on there already, but uh, I thought they were just too silly 
about polar bears and waterfalls and stuff. So I was waiting around to find some better words, but then I played it to a few people and they said they find those words. Which is basically saying, don't go doing a load of dangerous stuff because I, I need you. And it is, that's a kind of more mature thought for me than I would have been able to have done 20 years ago. Because I just didn't realize like that it's not all going to be here forever. That's the kind of thing that you start to realize once you pass 30. Do you think there's any significance in the fact that most people will probably say, and already are saying, that Waterfalls is the best song on the album, in fact one of the best songs you've done for a long time. Do you think that possibly, from, purely from the song point of view, that it, is, that it is best to have the song before you start recording? Yeah, it may be actually. As I say, you know, this wasn't intended to be an album. I have a feeling now that like, there's some interesting things on it. Certainly people haven't come up to me and said, oh, you can tell. That's the only way. I mean, if I, in a way, I don't need to tell you that. I met some Aussie on a train the other day. He said, you know my favourite track? Waterfalls. And that's one I would have said was, was very sort of bare and unfinished, but he liked it. Don't go jumping waterfalls Please keep to the Sometimes can make mistakes And I need love Yeah, I need love Like a second needs an hour Like a raindrop needs a shower should decide to go away Should decide to go. 
This album saying there's not a lot of stuff that's uh, very good lyrics. So you've got no, one or two. No, but I, yeah. I, there are one or two that stick out for you. So some of the ones like you won't like <clears throat> or may not like. I mean, there's a song there called Nobody Knows, which there's no way you could look at it as a set of lyrics and think that is no, strong that matter, lyrics. Because but it's for a, me, it's actually, the just bar boogie, really, isn't it? Yeah, but still, for me, I like the words on that. Mm. I mean, they're very simple. A lot of them have been done before. They don't actually say an awful lot, except they say nobody knows. And actually, the more you think about that, the more you think about all the millions of experts we have on the telly every night or yeah. everywhere telling us how to do it, and a year later they're wrong or they're out of office or the world isn't flat after all. And so I attach like, a lot of importance to just that idea of nobody knows, and that's the way I like it, just so nobody knows. It wouldn't be seen as a really good lyric, but you see the way I'm thinking of it, I yes. think it is a good lyric. But it's in a, it's, I, I approach a lot of stuff in that funny kind of roundabout way, you know, rather than just looking at it and saying, that's a great bit of poetry. There's, like, other reasons why I think things make good words, you know.
frozen Jap, or in Japan it's called frozen Japanese. Now, is that, uh, one has to ask this, is that in any way related to your slight problems no, in it Japan? No, it was done beforehand. Um, the, the, all of this stuff was done summer of 79. And then my Japanese holiday took place in 1980, beginning of 1980. And that is a bit unfortunate, that, because it will, it will be seen by some people as to be a bit of a yes. frozen Jap. But actually, it's a working title that stuck. Um, when, I, when I did the tune, I was always imagining having sort of... And all of that on it, you know, because this was yes. in my... I was just doing this for my own insanity, you know, I wasn't thinking of it as a record. And I like doing all that, you know, that sort of uh, funny Japanese singing. Um, but I couldn't think of a title for it. I was hoping it would be called... I uh, hoping I could think of something like, you know, Crystalline Wonder Around Mount Fuji. Or I, was, I was looking for something short, but that said that, you know, that, that postcard you yes. see of winter in Japan with Mount Fuji with the snow on the top. Snow-capped Fuji, you know, it might have been called, or something like that. I was looking for something pretty. Uh, but I couldn't think of anything, so to remind myself what it was all about, I just wrote down on the books, Frozen Jap, meaning, you know, frozen, yes. that's the ice, and Jap, it's vaguely oriental. Uh, and it stuck, you know, and I was working with um, other people, and they kind of, you know... And you weren't tempted to change the title at the last minute? So, uh, I wasn't going to change it, but uh, it turned out that in Japan, the word Jap is, like, still thought of as being very derogatory. Although I think over here it's been diffused a lot. I think, like, the, the man who's got a clothes firm, who's a Japanese guy who calls himself Jap, because the clothes firm Jap, I think things like that have, have brought it, for, for me, a little bit more into line with Yank and Limey yes. and Palm. You know, they're not as offensive as, like, WAP. Mm -hmm. And there are certain ones that are well offensive, Yid, you know, and the, those are the ones you don't use. And I think the Japanese think that Jap is still in that kind of thing. For me, it's becoming a borderline case of a lot of Japanese in the West, their own attitude to it. So anyway, out of uh, not wanting to kind of do a, a, a snub to anybody who might be offended, in, in Japan we've called it frozen Japanese. This is a little bit timid, you know, but um, might as well. rather than offend anyone.
ruthless and just played and made the record as if it was on a giant cassette recorder. As it was, it was on a 16 track. I would just turn up in the morning, yeah. bang a couple of drums, because I knew I felt like banging a couple of drums. Uh, but I didn't know where I was going to go from there. if I just walked into another studio, the same old thing again, and wrote some songs. It was just something I had to do. I mean, two of One of, of these days is sort of talking about if I can move to one yes, of these yes, days do, do. swiftly. <laughs> uh, that's talking about one of these days when my feet are on the ground. Well, that's something everybody can 
instantly uh, relate to. One of these days when my feet are on the ground I'm gonna look around and see See what's right See what's there And breathe fresh air ever after One of these days When a job just takes too long I'm gonna sing my song and see See what's right, see what's there And breathe fresh air ever after It's there, it's round, it's to be found by you, by me. It's all we ever wanted to be. One of these days when we both time to please yourself see what's right and see what's there and breathe fresh air ever after it's it's round, it's to be found by you, by me. It's all we ever wanted to see. Well, one of these days when my feet are on the ground, I'm gonna look around and see See what's right And see what's there And breathe fresh air ever The album, McCartney 2. Do you feel you have any message to give to the world through your songs, or are you just saying what you feel like saying at any one particular time? The second part. <laughs> Whatever I'll come it was. back next week. <laughs> yeah. This LP shot straight to number one in the UK, and number three in the US Billboard charts. Continuing in a moment. John sails to Bermuda. I was in a maker's dorm at 
six hours uh, driving that boat, you know, and keeping it on the course. And I was buried underwater, I was smashed in the face for six hours. It's incredible experience because it won't go away, you know, you can't change your mind. Ringo records a new album. I said you can't fight lightning, whatever you do. Harrison also continues recording. There's a wonky one. <clears throat> they call him Christ Krishna Buddha, Jehovah Allah. You are the wind of creator of all. Wings regroup in the studio. It was really just a good old-fashioned musical rave-up. One of the constraints of a recording studio as Wings simply took off in an ancient concert hall at Finchton Manor, just outside Tenterden. And after five years, John goes back to the recording studio. The time has come, the walrus says. Next on Yesterday and Today. For more information or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at Yesterday Pod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts yesterday and today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. Wow. (laughs) And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. You can head to our social media pages, that's facebook.com slash yesterday and today podcast, or facebook.com slash third men, or you could head to society6.com slash Kaminsky family podcast, that's society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I family podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. (laughs) Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, we need your help. (laughs) Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. All right. We'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me.